Welcome, action fans, and thanks for joining us for another edition of All 90s Action All The Time. I'm your host, Scott Murphy, and this month uh, we're doing something a little bit different. As instead of our normal uh, movie review podcast that we do, I have an interview, an interview with a very special guest, the author of uh, Wild and Crazy Guys and Empire editor Nick DeSemlin. Uh, talking about his brand new book, The Last Action Heroes, which chronicles the highs, lows, feuds, and everything in between in the careers of some of the 80s and 90s biggest action stars. In the interview, I talked to Nick about the initial inspiration for the book, some of the most fun behind-the-scenes stories he uncovered during his research, and most importantly, I get his take on what was the best action decade, 80s or 90s. You'll have to tune in to the very end of the interview to see what he thinks about that. All of that and much, much more you can hear right now in my interview with Nick. Hi, Nick. Welcome to All Nikes Action all the time. Thank you for having me on. No problem at all. It's my pleasure to have you on uh, to talk about uh, your brand new book, The Last Action Heroes, um, which uh, covers some of the biggest action heroes of the, the 80s and 90s. Before we dive into the book, um, where did your love of action movies first stem from? I have a very vivid memory of watching Total Recall when I was too young for it, um, hiding behind the sofa, my brother and my older brother and his uh, one of his friends were watching it, and I remember just peeking around and seeing uh, Arnie's head do things that no human head should do, and um, <laughs> just like those images were just burned into my brain at quite a young age. Um, and then just seeing Lethal Weapon, seeing uh, Die Hard, obviously was a huge one. There was a videotape of Aliens um, that used to do the rounds at my school that we would just watch obsessively over and over again. So, yeah, I was pretty, you know, it was during my formative years that I kind of got hooked. And there's something about the movies, of action movies of that period, just the practical sort of bone crunching mayhem that unfolds in them that I just loved and still love. And and there's something, I don't know whether it's just nostalgia, but I, I find I can go back to so many of those movies and not even the, the five-star classics, but... Um, even the ones that are objectively not very good <laughs> and just get a lot out of them on repeated viewings. Um, and also just the the movie stars um, who were in them, who were often quite eccentric and really fun to write about in this book. But yeah, I just think there's something there's something kind of safe and controlled about about Hollywood these days. And that wasn't the case in the in the 80s and 90s, definitely not in the action movie where they just gave these lunatics a lot of money and they would go off and blow stuff up and um, record what happened. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they really endure, I think. I I would certainly um, agree with that. Um, so like, yeah, so like with, with the book, um, you, you cover some of the, the biggest action stars of, of that era. Um, I was kind of wondering, you know, you picked eight action stars. Why did you specifically pick those ones and was it always going to be those ones because you know some people might be surprised that like um 
technically bigger stars like uh, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Kurt mm. Russell are not in the book, whereas you know people like Chuck Norris and Dolph Lundgren, mm. who are are slightly more, um, you know, they were big stars at the time as well, but like smaller than some of the names I've just mentioned. You know, they are in the book. So, like, what was that thought process? Yeah, it was really just uh, I tried to keep it to the actors, the stars who specialized in action and kind of devoted their lives to action really so while harrison ford and mel gibson did do action movies really iconic action movies they also did drama and to be honest they probably did more drama than they did action and during that period um and you know harrison ford would go off and do a mosquito coast or he would do a witness although that's a that's actually a decent action movie itself but um there was something about these eight guys who just completely devoted themselves to the cause and transformed their bodies in most of the cases. And a lot of them came out of martial arts. You know, Chuck Norris was a karate master before he started acting. Uh, Jackie Chan was, uh, you know, went to the the Chinese school of opera and he was incredibly talented and, and kind of athletic and acrobatic before he started making movies. So, most of these guys, Arnold, obviously coming out of the weightlifting um, scene as well. So there was there was something about these eight people who just threw themselves into action and almost exclusively made action. A few of them crossed over. Uh, Stallone, I think, wanted to do more drama than action, but I think he kind of felt kept getting pulled back to it. Um, but yeah, there's there's never going to be a selection of eight that I think would have pleased everyone. And I had that with my first book, Wild and Crazy Guys, as well, which was about the comedians of that era. And, you know, I've had people say, why was Robin Williams not in there? Why was Charles Grodin not in there? But um, yeah, you've got to kind of draw the line. So I do have my own internal logic for who I pick. But especially with these guys, there was something really lovely as well about the way that they crossed paths and interacted. And um you know, Chuck Norris being responsible for Jean-Claude Van Damme making it in Hollywood, getting his big break, and Stallone kind of introducing Jackie Chan to Hollywood and helping him in the early 90s. So there were all these really interesting ways in which they interacted and sometimes helped each other and sometimes antagonized each other. Um, but yeah, you could, you could definitely, you know, Sigourney Weaver made one of the 80s most iconic action films, but didn't didn't devote herself to action so she was another one who didn't quite fit in and um when did the idea of the book first uh, first come around like what first inspired you to be like yes I this, my next book is going to be action stars um i think it just came out organically out of the work that i have done for empire and i've been at empire almost 20 years now and during that period, um, I've just gotten these amazing experiences involving a lot of these guys. Um, I got to go to China and spend two days in Shanghai with Jackie Chan. That was completely bananas. And, you know, do a really interesting sit-down interview with him where he talked about his career in a way that he doesn't do very often. Um, I got to go to Austin, Texas and hang out with Chuck, Chuck Norris for a weekend. Um and still the only person I've ever interviewed who's asked to pray before we started talking. Um, I just had a really surreal experience going to a this martial arts tournament where he was kind of the guest of honour. And I kind of drove in his car with him to the stadium and then sat with him and his family. And that was like a really 
crazy experience. And then, yeah, talking to Dolph Lundgren a few times, having a really long phone call with Steven Seagal and another one with Van Damme, and then crossing paths with Arnold quite a few times as well and going on set of one of his films. And so all of these experiences just kind of added up. And I thought, well, I'm sitting on quite a wealth of of access and then also having connections, you know, having interviewed people like John McTiernan, whose ranch I got to go to um, shortly after he came out of prison. Actually, he was under house arrest, but I got to go out to uh, Wyoming and and sort of spend some time with him and Paul Verhoeven and Rennie Harlan. So I, I just felt like I was in quite a good position to write this book. And I just find it an endlessly fascinating, I mean, obviously, I imagine you do as well with the name of your podcast, but it's just an endlessly fascinating period and endlessly fascinating people. So yeah, it just felt like a no brainer that this was, um, this was something I wanted to write and it was, um, it was really entertaining to put it together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, you know, I mean, it sounds like uh, really surreal. Some of those experiences, I can only imagine you said you had a really long phone conversation with Steven Seagal. I, I could only imagine um how how was that like um because of all the planet-sized egos in the book um uh, of all these action stars um Seagal manages pretty much to top them all which probably if he's got the biggest ego of any action star we probably put him high on the list of biggest ego in the history of the world <laughs> um <laughs> yeah it was it was actually quite terrifying it was it was an intimidating thing, actually, and made more so by the fact that I got my time zones wrong. This ha- hasn't happened very often, but it happened mm. for this interview. I thought he was going to be calling me later in the day. <laughs> I suddenly got a phone call, and I was in the Empire office, and my phone rings, and I pick it up, and I'm like, hello? And it goes, hi, it's Stephen Seagal. And you're like, oh, shit, I've got an hour with Stephen Seagal. And I hadn't really started properly doing my questions. So I remember like calling up his IMDb page on my computer in a frantic rush and just looking at his titles and all of his movie titles like three words and they're all really interchangeable and i was kind of like ah god um you know i should have i should have prepped a lot more for this but yeah it was an interesting conversation he um as you allude to has has quite an ego Uh, i think one of the questions i asked was um do you do do you do your own stunts or to what extent do you do your own stunts and he said something like i can do i can do whatever any human can do i can do so he's um he's uh yeah he he's an interesting guy and he told me a, a quite a crazy story about when he lived in japan and he was in a dojo and a white dog warned him that his dojo was on fire and um and then he he left the dojo and it burned down and it, so there's all these kind of strange stories that you don't know quite how much truth there is to them but um yeah he he that was definitely one of the more interesting interviews i did um that in this kind of realm of action people yeah like i think i think a lot of his stories should be probably taken with a, a, a pinch of salt because he's he's always because <laughs> throughout his careers he's always told stories about like working with the cia or fighting the yakuza or whatever and yeah okay <laughs> yeah well apparently above the law is is a factual account of his early life um yeah. but um yeah it was interesting doing the book talking to people he's worked with and getting their version and his version and it's often like Rashomon um you know for example on Under Siege uh, he told me that he basically came up with the Tommy Lee Jones character and he basically wrote all that dialogue and made him 
I can't remember his exact words, but made him an interesting character. And then I spoke to uh, J.F. Loughton, the under siege screenwriter for the book, and um, that wasn't how he remembered it. <laughs> it's like it, at all. He he was saying that you know Tommy Lee came up with that, and uh, it's hard to imagine that character coming from Steven Seagal because there's certainly nothing like that in any other Steven Seagal movie that I can think of. So, um, yeah, that there weren't many people who would corroborate his um, his version of events for a lot of things. Absolutely, and you know, obviously, um, Steven Seagal is, uh, as well as having a planet-sized eagle, um, a controversial character. It's had many controversies. I was wondering how you managed to balance uh, that in the book, um, because obviously, uh, you know, it's mainly a movie book. It's mainly a celebration of these stars and these 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 movies, but you also uh, talk about the kind of controversies of you know most of them have um controversies of some sort whether it be sexual harassment claims whether it be um from a liberal perspective reactionary politics takes or whatever it might be um and you know how how was that managing to kind of balance that like addressing that but not letting it uh, overwhelm the book i guess yeah, that was really the challenge of, uh, as you said, it has to go in. I wanted it to be an accurate version. I didn't want it to be a hagiography of these guys. And as much as I admire a lot of their work and certainly their work ethic and how hard they they you know they work to get to where they are, you have to acknowledge the you know the 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 shortcomings of them and and definitely uh, with many of them there have been controversies. And so I, I yeah, the the, uh, the attempt was to put that stuff into the book without it overwhelming it. And I think if you have chapters and chapters of it, it's going to get a bit overwhelming. But um, certainly with Steven Seagal, I wanted to address, you know, he's, he's the most controversial of them in terms of the allegations against him um, in the sense of, you know, a lot of actresses and other women have had very bad encounters with him. Um, and um, I'm sure that's a big part of his career decline. But, um, you know, they've all had controversies to some degree, I would say. Maybe not Jackie Chan so much. Maybe not Chuck Norris so much. But, um, uh, yeah, the, the, that stuff was definitely part of the story. So I I, I tried to weave it in um, without it becoming something that would take over the whole book. Um, and I tried to focus on things that happened within the timeline of the book. The book ends in 93, 94. Um, that's when I chose to kind of uh, to kind of close it out that you could have carried on. I could have gone right to the end of the 90s or even beyond. But I don't know. That felt like something right about that time to stop. So anything that happened after that, I didn't really get into, maybe touched on in, in the epilogue. But um, yeah, I thought it was definitely important to to acknowledge that that stuff had happened yeah and that's interesting about like the that cutoff of like 93 94 why did you pick that is that because that you feel that that's when the kind of proper sea change happened in in terms of you know what you talk about at the end of the book with last action hero kind of failing and and jurassic park kind of pointing the direction of where blockbusters are going where uh spectacle kind of overcomes the 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 stars you know it's 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 yeah mm. yeah that was definitely part of it um 
partly because I wanted to end the Steven Seagal strand with him being thrown out of a plane, <laughs> like <laughs> crashing to his death in executive decision. Sure. Um, that felt like the right place to end Steven Seagal's story. And it's kind of a bit symbolic because, you know, he's kind of being thrown out of Hollywood as well as a plane at that point. Um, you know, they put up with a lot, uh, the, the big studios, probably more than they should have put up with from him. But that was kind of on deadly ground was the point where, you know, this this guy who was coasting on this aura of invincibility was suddenly suddenly uh, uh, struggling and and flopping. And so, yeah, anyway, but yeah, that was the Seagal part. But just in general, I, I thought that, as you said, um, Jurassic Park coming out and the CGI taking over as the spectacle rather than these guys' bodies, which had previously been the spectacle, is these guys doing real stunts and huge muscles and all of that. Um, which was why people just kept going back and back to see their films um, and blowing buildings up. Now you don't need to blow a real building up like they did in Demolition Man because now you can do it with CGI. So there was something about that kind of period. Um, and then I think what was happening with the with what a star was as well, and I think it was yeah, it was Sylvester Stallone who pointed to uh, Tim Michael Keaton in Tim Burton's Batman and said, "That's when I knew we were in trouble." Um, because suddenly this guy, Michael Keaton, who isn't, you know, doesn't look jacked, doesn't look like he's been to the gym, is suddenly a hero, a summer action movie hero. And so all those things were changing. These white guys were getting older as well. And even though lots of them carried on in later into the 90s and beyond and, and even made really good films, some of them, not that many, but you know, some of them made good films after the early nineties. Um, things things ch did change, and I think that I, that was what I identified as the end of that golden age. Um, so yeah, that's why I wanted to stop there. I just thought once you've got to Demolition Man and Last Action Hero, both of which are like kind of meta deconstructions of of the action movie, um, you know, it, that felt like the right place to to draw things to a close with that kind of. Arnold and Sly kind of doing their own deconstruction of what they'd been doing for the last couple of decades before that. I was wondering of the kind of eight stars that you you focus on, do you have um, a personal favorite, uh, both to write about and as uh, a movie watcher? There may be different, different ones. I, I've got to say Steven Seagal, um, I'm talking about him a lot. I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of him on the screen or his films. Uh, even though some of the action is really good, I find him just quite, a, you know, in light of everything that's come out about him, he's quite a toxic human being. And so it's not hugely enjoyable for me to watch him. But I got to say, it was really fun to write about him. It just felt like you've got this gift of a villain who kind of comes in. And I wasn't I wasn't doing a deliberate, you know, I'm going to get bad stuff on Steven Seagal. Genuinely, everyone I talked to, I was trying to, you know, get stories about him being a good human being. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of that out there. Um, apart from Pam Greer, who, you know, was in hospital uh, with cancer um, in the early 90s. And Steven Seagal was apparently one of the few people who went and visited her. But no, he was he was a, definitely a fun one to write about. Um, but they all kind of were in different ways. I thought that's what kind of made writing the book fun was all these different personalities and they're all very, very different. Arnold is almost like you're writing about a cartoon character because he's so pumped up and larger than life off screen as well as on. Um, 
And then you've got Sylvester Stallone, who is kind of the opposite. He's actually quite sensitive. He's artistic. He's into painting. He's into poetry. Um, he's reading books. He's trying to get away from action. And so he, they were a really interesting kind of contrast, those two. Um, and Stallone was really fascinating to research and find out more and more about. Just a really interesting guy who... who alternates i think between being really likable and then you know believing his own hype and being being um maybe not the the best person to work with um but yeah in terms of whose work i enjoy watching i've really got a soft spot for van damme films i just really like his persona i like the silliness i love sudden death and uh hard target is a favorite um and uh yeah i mean arnie films i could watch many even mediocre Arnold films um like Red Heat I could I could watch um over and over again. So no what is your favorite Arnold film? My favorite Arnold film. If you had to pick one. If I had to pick one. Um probably probably Terminator 2 with um yeah. with uh, Total Recall as a close second. That's a good one two punch. Yeah that's pretty hard to beat. I'd I'd say T2 is my favorite as well um but um yeah i mean the arnold is just glorious when he's when he's at his peak and kind of in peak form and doing the one liners um he's he's just unbeatable i think yeah i i, I would agree i would agree I, I think like uh yeah i i mean i i like many of the the people in the book uh, obviously but i think like arnold and and jackie chan were probably my favorites mm. uh, growing up um and all the the ones covered um, jackie definitely jackie definitely yeah I, I went to the prince charles cinema in london and watched um police story one to three back to back um a few months back and it was one of the best nights i've had for a long time i mean it's just he um yeah and it you know the arc of of him in the book is that he is trying to get into hollywood but he's already made it in china at the start you know, but he wanted to kind of conquer the whole world. I mean, just the, the one thing that unifies all these guys is just their ambition that they would not put up with being a giant success. It's like they have to be better than everyone else. And so you get these amazing jewels of ego. Um, I wouldn't say Jackie is the most egomaniacal of them, but he's just so determined to succeed that it's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, I think like that. that is the thing that kind of joins them all. You know, like when when you read the book, uh, just the the dogged determination of them all you know like and the um the kind of low points that you know obviously the like Stallone and uh, Van Damme and a lot of them start from and, and just uh, and just work their way up I was wondering as well um you talk you mentioned in the book that there is something kind of indefinable about um like why an action star takes off, you know, why a Van Damme um, takes off while, you know, a, a Jeff Speakman or a Brian Bosworth mm. just fizzles. Mm. And um, yeah, do you think that there there is any way to de de define that? I don't know. Um, maybe there's a volume two with, um, with Brian Bosworth on the cover, I don't know, but um, it, there's something, they, each of these guys found a niche, uh, a niche, to themselves and maybe it was just kind of luck that they were there at the right time at the right place i think um uh you know i think definitely a lot of luck played its part 
in mm. in these guys' stories. But I don't know. You read like a, the Stallone stuff, or you you'd lo- you you know you 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 find out what Stallone did to get where he is, and you think, well, this guy was probably going to make it just through sheer force of will because he was probably going to just keep going and going. I don't know if the other guys had the same resilience and the same determination. Um, but no, I think it's a combination of of talent and then just something ineffable, which is just screen presence, which I think you could be really good at. Um, you can be, you know, the best martial artist in the world, but it might not be fun to watch you doing it on screen. But you combine that with, you know, Van Damme's cheekiness or, you know, the mystique of Seagal or, you know, Chuck Norris's kind of karate cowboy thing. And there's something completely unique about each of them. And then Arnold, obviously, <laughs> you know, there is no human being who has ever been like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so he comes along and he's so larger than life. It's like he just stands out in any room, even if you didn't know who he was, you'd be looking at him probably. So, um, yeah, I don't know why those other guys didn't. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, each of the each of these guys were doing something unique and different and um, kind of reshaping the action genre in their image almost and people were building films around them um so that's quite a rare thing and to have so many of them kind of rising at the same time it was like a really kind of i think unrepeatable like time in hollywood history and all these guys were doing their thing at the same time it's pretty wild yeah and i was wondering you know it seems like with the book uh, you've you've timed it absolutely perfectly um i was wondering how um how much you knew about what arnold and sly uh were doing you know with them kind of uh kind of back in a in a big way uh with the arnold's netflix documentary he's got a new show out through bar sly's got a reality show he's got a netflix documentary coming out late later on in the, the year um it's a he's had a critical tv success with the tulsa king uh recently yeah. so you couldn't have timed it any better <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because the the same thing happened with Wild and Crazy Guys, my book about the comedy guys, because when I started writing that, I had no idea that uh, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray were going to be coming back in the new Ghostbusters. And I had no idea Beverly Hills Cop 4 was suddenly going to actually get greenlit after all this time and coming to America too. So it was suddenly happening and it was like, wow, okay, there's <laughs> something in the water. And then this time around, like all of those things, like you said, and you forgot uh, Minions, The Rise of Gru which right. um, reunites Dolph Lundgren and Jean-Claude Van Damme as characters named, I believe, Svengeance and is it John claude And he's I think like, it's John-Claude, John- yes, yes. John-Claude, C-L-A-W-E-D, and he's Jean-Claude Van Damme is like voicing a guy with lobster claws. <laughs> so it's like, um, you know, talk about characters being written you know, around the stars. Um, but yeah, no, I honestly, the, the honest answer is I had no idea any of this was going to be happening. I'm very pleased. And and not just, yeah, and for it to be coming out, my book came out in America um, at the beginning of June and literally the same week as the Arnold Netflix documentary came out. And there's a gigantic um, book coming out next month uh, by Tashin, who do these incredible I don't know if you guys get it, but these inc- incredible um, coffee table books. And there's one yeah. called Arnold, which costs, I think, um, $1,250. And that's the cheapest version. And then it goes up from there. You can get like a special deluxe version for like, I don't know, a lot of money. So suddenly um, there's this kind of reappraisal of these guys. But I think um, 
there's a real there's a real fondness for them and you know they're in their 70s now they're not going to be around forever and i think you know now's their kind of victory lap and people are really appreciating them and um yeah food bar you know arnold is still holding a gun and running around and doing one-liners somehow and it's credible it's like 50 years into his career it's crazy yeah the one-liners in Fubara are not good, by the way. I'm trying to remember, like, like they're not they're not vintage ones. I would say they should have called in uh, Stephen D'Souza to um to punch them punch, up, punch them up maybe for season two. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've I've not I've I, I must admit I've not actually watched it yet. Um, I have watched the Arnold documentary, which I really enjoyed, but like um, I've not I've not checked out Fubara quite yet, but uh, might check it out still. Um. There's there is did, many oh, sorry no sorry I was just going to say I did enjoy the fact that Sly's Netflix documentary like I I, I feel like that competition is still there and yes. I I kind of liked how Arnold had one and then Sly probably called his agent and then suddenly he's got one <laughs> it's like he's got a free part Netflix doc coming as you said but um yeah I feel like they're still they're still even though they're they're buddies now as opposed to mortal enemies I feel like they're still kind of keeping an eye on each other and trying to outdo each other which I like. Oh yeah, for for sure. I think um, they still have that very old-fashioned masculinity. That's like even even fret being friends will still be hyper competitive. I'm <laughs> sure they're hyper competitive in all, all things that they do. Um, talking about that rivalry, um, there's many great stories in the book uh, about that rivalry. Many great stories about all the uh, all the stars. Um, one of my personal favorites is uh, the one uh, where they both have to walk into Cannes at the same time, and and then they uh, they dance together um, until until uh, Sly realizes that Arnold's taking the lead, and that stops, uh, which I thought was hilarious. Um, what was your personal favorite story to uncover in the book? Oh boy. Um... Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, it was a real joy just talking to so many people who were, you know, involved in that period. And the the really nice thing about writing a book about, you know, 40 years ago or 30 years ago and doing those interviews is that, you know, the, these guys who were there are now kind of, you know, retired and they've got no reason not to tell the real story of events. So it was really funny. Um going and reading articles from like the set of whatever the film was and you get the version the the sanctioned cleaned sanitized version before the film came out and then you talk to the director you know 30 years on and they tell you the real reality behind it so it was fascinating talking to Rennie Harlan um yeah Rennie Harlan's jumped into my mind and hit the story he told me about cliffhanger about how um Stallone was deathly afraid of heights and signed up to cliffhanger thinking it would all be shot on the ground using green screen i loved that and actually arrived on the set and, and then Rennie harlan had to break it to him they were going to be shooting up the mountain and then Rennie harlan having to trick him into um into going up on the mountain saying it was a recce and then Rennie harlan told me he had set up a line like a, like a cable which stallone didn't know about which he was Rennie harlan was connected to and so he leapt off the edge of the cliff and scared the hell out of Stallone, who thought he was falling to his death, to show him and demonstrate how it was actually safe for them to do these scenes. So I really loved that story. And I really loved, um, I spoke to Jim Thomas, the one of the, the co-writers of Predator, and he told me a really 
lovely story. He was sitting in a restaurant with Arnold having dinner and uh, Bruce Willis was there as well. And Die Hard had just come out and um, Arnold called across the, the restaurant to Bruce Willis. You know why you're never going to be an action star? And Bruce Willis is like, why? And he goes, toothpick arms <laughs> and pointed at his own biceps. So that was a that was a really fun story that I hadn't heard before. Yeah, no, that that one gave me a laugh as as well. Um, I was wondering uh, over the course of writing the book, um, I, either in terms of like their movies or just in terms of them as a person, did your opinion change on any of the stars you were writing about? Well, like I said, Stallone. Um, I don't feel like I had a real bead on Stallone and his psychology when I started writing it, you know, I'd seen the big movies and, um, you know, saw him as this kind of invincible tough guy, but it was really interesting when you start to piece it all together and get the chronology in place and work out, you know, Oh, we had a terrible time on this film and that's why he ended up doing that film or he did this because of that, and you start joining the dots. It's really interesting. You see that he was really wounded by, um, you know, whereas Arnold was rumbling on and just having hit after hit after hit, and he was so confident. Stallone wasn't. He was having these huge hits, but then he was also having these absolutely gigantic flops, and it really hurt him, and he started getting quite insecure. And, um, yeah, I just found it fascinating so seeing him as much more of a human being with um you know uh vulnerabilities and and i think he was you know really honest in interviews at the time which made it really interesting to kind of piece all that stuff together but um yeah i came out with with more of an appreciation of of what a complex character stallone is and um and i think you know i i, I just that was kind of the case with all of them really um because most of these guys had a really difficult childhood and fathers who were not particularly kind to them or would beat them or whatever and I, I do wonder how big a part that played in these guys you know pushing themselves so hard to succeed because that's that's like a that's like a thing you see happening with a whole bunch of them um that they all have in common um but no I I, I think I kind of came out with an appreciation yeah especially Chuck Norris as well I think you know he he's kind of become this kind of comedy character on the internet with the Chuck Norris facts but I think talking to people who knew him and getting stories about, you know, what a what a kind of gentle guy he actually was and how different he was to his screen image. Um yeah, that was another interesting thing, just seeing how um how different they were to what they played on on screen. And and I think in the case of Steven Seagal, he was trying to become the person he was playing on screen, uh, which made him not a very nice person to cross paths with but he kind of bought into that whole tough guy thing whereas you know chuck norris was the polar opposite and and was playing a part on screen but he wasn't taking that off the set with him so i you know i i, I really kind of felt like i came away with with more appreciation for all of them really oh okay yeah yeah and i was uh i think that's one of the things that um uh kind of stood out for me in the in the book as well like that kind of chuck norris thing of because i i must admit i've not watched a lot of chuck norris films i you know i i've always found them the blandest of action stars and um i've also and this is just my personal kind of politics you know like um you know it, it's, his movies tend to be 
come across uh, very right wing and uh, rub me up the wrong way. Um, so like, uh, so to kind of see him in a kind of gentler light of uh, you know, um, I think I've I've kind of seen him in a kind of uh, a kind of obnoxious Fox News light, and um, you know, to kind of see, you know, people are complex, and and uh, it, yeah. it was interesting to kind of uh, kind of see him in a in a slightly more sympathetic light than I've generally uh, placed him in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on on the politics, hundred percent. That he's very far away. His politics are very far away from where mine are. And you know, you watch something like Invasion USA, and it is just Fox News, the movie, <laughs> and um, it's quite hard to get around uh, to to kind of get past that to actually enjoy the action in a lot of his films because they are quite often quite sort of xenophobic in that period. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think people are complex, and it's actually surprising how. Um, you can react to someone's work and then actually, you know, they're actually a decent person off screen. But um, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of Chuck Norris films that I would choose to watch of my own volition. I would say Code of Silence, which um, is directed by Andrew Davis, who did Under Siege um, and also did The Fugitive, is is probably the Chuck Norris um, film that people should check out. Um, I think that definitely stands out as being um one of the one of the better ones by far and it's got chuck norris and dennis farina as a kind of double act and um yeah it's well directed and um you know it's not like a de niro level performance but by chuck and chuck norris standards it's it's pretty good yeah i i think like from reading the book i like i i'm i feel like i'm going to check that one out that, that that's i was like uh, i should maybe you know since that seems to be the uh, agreed upon pinnacle of chuck norris's work i, I think um <laughs> I think I'll, I'll maybe check that one out one one of these days. Um, yeah, avoid the one where he fights a demon, or the one where he teams up with a dog. Um, but, oh, top um... dog is that? that, <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that is, is demon? What is that called? Hellbound or something? Or Hell, no. Hellbound is the one where he goes oh. to Israel, and it's actually kind of boring. But he does okay. uh, get into does a karate fight with a with a demon. <laughs> so <laughs> um, you could you could double bill it with End of Days in a kind of you know very strange 80s action movies fighting satanic forces double bill <laughs> if that's how you choose to live your life i wouldn't recommend saying, it i'm not recommending no, it. Okay. <laughs> i want to distance myself from that double bill actually oh, from, from the <laughs> yeah i mean i guess like i mean i'm i i wonder if there's more movies in that subcategory because i think there's a dolph lundgren movie um it's called the minion or something that he fights mm. a demon or something like that i think yeah. Um, so, so start, I'm going to start a letterbox. I'm going to start a letterbox list straight after this. <laughs> 80s action stars fighting demons. Um, <laughs> now, just because yeah. you're on this podcast, you don't have to answer uh, the direction um, of this podcast. But if you were to pit them hand to hand, 80s versus 90s, which would you pick as your favorite decade for action? I feel like I don't want to. I don't want to cause an incident. Um, for me, I look. I'll preface this by saying there are a lot of '90s action movies I love. There really are. Sure. Um, and there's something. There's this particular flavor to them that I love as well. I think when you get into the '90s, with all of these stars, you get their films start becoming a bit weirder. I think, <laughs> like Hard Target, is such a weird film, yeah. and there's a certain kind of late stage. You know, the action movie's been giant for um 
for 10, you know, a whole decade. And so people were just, you know, making absolutely mad, like, you know, die hard in an ice rink and things like that. So there, there were a lot of 90s movies I love. There's a long way of saying that I'm, I'm an 80s, I'm an 80s action guy, I got to say. Just, um, oh, forgetting T2 though, which is maybe the best out of all of them. So, it's a complicated question. I would I would instinctively say the 80s just because I think Commando, Die Hard, um, uh, Rocky IV, you know, the, the the prime Jackie Chan stuff. I think there's so much, there's so much good stuff. Um, but it's a very even match. <laughs> it's a very even match. Um, but yeah, that would be my initial response. Sorry, please don't hate me. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's fine. I've got plenty of love for 80s action as, as, as well. Um, it's just, um, <laughs> it's only, it's only my, it's only my slight preference. So like, yeah, I, I love um, the, the movies from, from, from both eras. Um, so in, in terms of like uh, going forward, would, would you uh, do like a, a volume two of this book or would, or do you have other plans? Would you stay in, in action or comedy realms if you were doing a third book or, or are you just going to put books in the back burner for a while and, and, and focus on, on editing the world's biggest movie magazine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a small, that's not a small thing. Uh, let me tell you, it was quite challenging doing the two of them back to back. Um, almost drove me mad. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I haven't got, I haven't got plans for a third book. I'll be honest at the moment. Um, but then I didn't really have the idea to do Last Action Heroes until after One of Crazy Guys was published. So I don't know. I'm noodling about in the back of my mind. Um, it's quite a painful process putting one together, as you might imagine, um, especially one that kind of covers such a big terrain. So it was it was quite painful um, and hard work, but it was really fun. And it's 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 just kind of nice to have it out there now and people talking about these movies and kind of helping that conversation. Um, and I think there's something really kind of glorious and enjoyable about going back to this period and and like i said at the beginning it just these films just endure which is, i guess is why you're doing your podcast you know they're just so much fun to talk about um they've still got their potency so i don't know um i don't know if there's another book about action i kind of feel like i said what i wanted to say about these guys in this one but yeah like i said maybe the brian bosworth um book is coming who knows <laughs> um who knows i'll mull that one over yeah, man. I mean, you could always do like the, uh, like the the DTV equivalent of 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 this book, where you, where you focus on like you know, um, Dudikoff, Dacascus, da mm. Gary Daniels, <laughs> Rough Rock, give Rough Rock her chance to shine. Yeah, I mean, look, they would all be they would all be interesting to to write about. Um, I don't know if I have the mental fortitude to make it through all the films, um, but yeah, there probably is a book. And I, you know, there, there's so there's so much in Hollywood that that is, um, you know, that is worth documenting and and would be really fun to delve into. So who knows? I am thinking about it and kind of working out, you know, what is the next. What is the next uh, area that I that I might want to like delve into? Um, but I got to say, it will be a real challenge finding something as fun to write about as as these guys and these films because I don't think Hollywood's ever seen the excess and the, the just the amount of money and just how pumped up everything was on every level, and that's really fun to write about and talk to people about. Um, but yeah, it was just a wild a wild era and. Um, like I said, Hollywood is now kind of 
you know, hyper controlled and no one's, you know, being given all that money to go off into the, the desert and make Rambo free, which may be for the best, but, um, it was, uh, a lot of films that maybe shouldn't have been made, got made, slipped through the system. And I don't know, our lives are the better for it. I would say. Uh, I would absolutely agree. Um, so, I mean, obviously, uh, I could uh, talk action movies with you all day, but I know you're a very busy man, so I'll, we'll wrap the interview up there. Um, but it just leaves me to say uh, thank you very much, Nick, uh, for coming on the podcast and talking about your book. And if you've got, uh, well, obviously, uh, before we head on out, um, please do uh, plug your book and tell everybody where they can find you on socials. Thanks so much, Scott. It's been it's been a total pleasure coming on and chatting with you. I could, like you said, we could do we could talk about John Lithgow and Cliffhanger for at least another hour. Um, that would be time well spent. Um, uh, we did I, talk I about be... when when we covered Cliffhanger on the podcast. We did talk about John Lithgow a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, '90s action movies have some of my favorite villains. I know Hans Gruber gets all the love, but um, yeah, John Lithgow in in Cliffhanger and Powers Booth in um, Sudden Death uh lance henriksen and hard target there's, so, I there's also, so many i also particularly love tommy lee jones and under siege tommy lee jones gives one of the most insane performances of like his performance there and his performance in batman forever are are just like he you know he has this reputation as this kind of grounded grumpy kind of stone-faced guy but you know people should watch him in under siege because uh they, it's a very different tommy lee jones yeah that and and the fugitive back to back i mean he was having uh he was having a lot of fun as much fun as tommy lee jones will allow himself in the early 90s and he does an impression of the roadrunner um in under siege he says meep meep which is like one of my favorite things about that film um but yeah powers booth before he passed away i got to have a, a chat with him for empire and we talked quite a lot about his character in sudden death who at one point threatens to put spiders into the mouth of a small girl um which is a great action movie villain thing to do um anyway i'm meant to be plugging myself and saying goodbye so um yeah my the book is out now uh the last action heroes um at least i hope it's out now it's out some places it's not out everywhere um uh, it's out on audiobook as well. I was very fortunate to have uh, the great Bronson Pincher um, do the audiobook of it. So that's available. And um, yeah, it can be found on Twitter and threads, although I haven't really started using threads, but I'm still figuring it out. Trying to get past the fact it's named after the scariest film of all time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 a fair that's that's a fair point. Well, thanks again um, for coming on the show and um if you do do any further work in action, I'll, I'll be happy to have you back. Thanks so much, Scott. I'd love to come back. Thanks for having me on. That was my guest, Nick, there, who I'd like to thank once again for coming on the show. Also, I would highly recommend you pick up his book, The Last Action Heroes, which is out now wherever you buy books in the US, Australia, and here in New Zealand. Alternatively, if you are in the UK, you can pre-order it ahead of its release on the 24th of August. Before I head on out, I just wanted to say thanks very much to everybody for listening, whether you're tuning into this on the original feed or, uh, or as part of the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network. Talking of which, 
please do feel free to check out all the other great shows on the network which covers such big action movie stars as Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Willis, Lundgren, Mel Gibson, Van Damme, others. There's a whole ton of stuff. If you're an action nerd like I am, there's a whole cornucopia of things for you to listen to. Anyway, that is all for this time. Until next time, though, see ya.